If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to Numbers chapter 15? Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to do something a little differently than I have ever done. Uh, I am trying to take bigger chunks of Scripture as we walk through Numbers. So I'm going to uh, do maybe two things for us today. I'm going to walk us through Numbers 15. You heard some of that read, and I, I want us to get the sense of where we are. And then I want to bring the point of the sermon at the end of Numbers 15. And then we're going to read. We're going to have story time in the sermon today. We had uh, someone uh, preach to us in chapel just a couple of weeks ago that uh, just made a simple observation. If we are to worship God, why do we not bow down before Him anymore? We are the only culture in the history of time that has not uh, just really prostrated ourselves and bowed down before our Lord anymore. Indeed, in our churches in, in the South especially, if, if someone bows down, we, we think, well, that's close to that charismatic movement. And uh, our American culture, we are in that culture that physically we don't bow down to anything. And I, I think that he made a, a, an astute observation that we should think more often about bowing down before our Lord. That was one. The second observation was that if we really believe that God has spoken to us in Scripture, why don't we spend more time reading Scripture together? So I've looked for an opportunity to read more Scripture. And today, we're going to go to the point of the sermon, and then we're going to read chapter 16 of Numbers, because I think there are at least two stories in this text, in this one big story, that I can't tell any better. Certainly never could I tell it any better than the text, but I could not even condense it for you. There's so much in number 16. I just want us to walk through it together as application of the point of numbers 15 today. But to get us there, let me call you back into the book of Numbers. We're in the study of a people who have been taken from the land of Egypt. They have been redeemed. They have been bought. They have been rescued out of slavery and out of bondage. And God has said, I'm going to restore you and I'm going to take you to the promised land, the land that I promised to Abraham. So literally, this is a people whom redemption has already been accomplished and yet the fulfillment of all the promises of their redemption is not yet uh, uh, realized. And so we relate to them because redemption has already been accomplished and yet you and I are in this in-between time where our redemption is not fully. All of the fulfillments of God's promise to us have not yet been realized. And so we pick up with them in the book of Numbers as they're going along. We saw perhaps the saddest chapter in the entire book last week as they come to the edge, the southern border of what God has promised them, they send spies into the land that God has said, I'm giving it to you. The spies come back and eight out of ten of them convince the people we can't go in. God said, I'm not looking for you to defeat. I'm not looking for you to do all that is required. I'm giving it to you. I'm telling you, go in. And they said, we can't. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. So God's punishment comes upon the people because they rebel against God and they grumble against the leadership of Moses and the people experience a great judgment. This is the pattern that we've seen in the people of Israel. They grumble, they rebel, God judges, God brings mercy, Moses intercedes for the people and all of this, this pattern keeps going and we're going to see it again and again even in our text today. And so after Moses speaks to the people, God's judgment has come and yet God did not fully wipe them out, which is what he originally wanted to do. Moses told the people, here's what God has said then. You turn around and you're going to go back the way of the Red Sea and you're going to spend 38 years 
an, an entire generation in the wilderness and every person, every warrior that we numbered in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 of this book, every one of them that's 20 years of, old, of age and older, they will die in the wilderness. And when a new generation has come, I will bring them into the land. The people were just overwhelmed with that judgment of God and that news. And so at the end of chapter 14, they say, well, we've changed our mind. We're going to go up and take the land. And God says, no, I've already made the judgment. You go by the way of the Red Sea. And the people without the temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle, without the cloud of covering, without the presence of God, without the Ark of the Covenant, without Moses and without Joshua and without Caleb and without Aaron, they go up to take the Canaanites and the Amorites, which would be the first people that they, uh, excuse me, the Amalekites, which would be the first people that they encounter. And you know what happened at the end of last week. They were defeated sorely. Verse 45 of chapter 14 says, the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down, defeated them, and pursued them even to Hormah. Hormah means destruction. And this is where they are. So the people have not only disobeyed God, been a recipient of His judgment, now in their disobedience they've been defeated by another people. And so where are we to wonder here? God's judgment, their continued rebellion, and so what happens in the life of the people. I want you to know this today. We see two things that I want you to see in our text today. We see God's grace and mercy in reassuring His people of His promise. And we see God giving them more laws to push them toward holiness. We see God's grace and mercy in reassuring the people of His promise. And we see God giving them more laws to push them toward holiness. Look at verse 1, chapter 15 with me, if you will. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving you. Now we'll go and enter into a bunch of laws there, but I want you to stop right there and note where the people are. They have rebelled against God. He said, you're going to be in the wilderness. You're going to die in the wilderness, or at least the entire generation is going to die in the wilderness. Everybody under the age of 20, you will come into this land. Joshua, Caleb, you will come into this land, but everyone else will die in the wilderness. And God says, Moses, now look at the people, speak to them in the midst of their rebellion, their defeated time, and say, when you come into the land, do you hear the encouragement of our God from the very beginning of His coming back to the people? God continually reassures, gives grace, and isn't that the case even in our lives? How many times have I come back to God so dry in my heart, maybe coming to confess the same sin again, and I hear the Spirit of God wooing my heart, reminding me of the gospel, reminding me of the promise, reminding me of the inheritance that I have that's in Christ, and here He's doing it again. When you come into the land that you are to inhabit, it reminds them which I am giving you. I've not changed my promise to Abraham. I've not changed the promise of redemption. I am still going to give it. There's judgment that comes. There's, there's death that will be inevitable. But I'm giving you the land because I'm faithful to my promises. And that's what God says to His people. So as we come this morning, I want to remind you as we walk through this chapter that our God is faithful to give His people the promise that redemption carries. And before we move on, church, let me just speak to us for a moment. 
I have no doubt that there are some here that are struggling with sin and perhaps doubt, perhaps some kind of dark spot that you're in. We just sang it in that wonderful hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory cannot see, perhaps you are there today. Sin has gripped your heart or darkness has come over you and you think, Lord, I can't see you. I feel so far away from you. Let me assure you that the God who is speaking through Moses to His people in the wilderness is the God who sent His own Son who accomplished your redemption. And He says to you, He says to me, I am doing what I promised. I am giving you the redemption. If it were up to you, and if it were based on what you were going to do, then you would have had no hope anyway. When you come into the land, live on the promise of our God, even when the darkness seems to hide Him. Even when you can't see how He's leading God's mercy and grace is seen in the reassuring of His promise. The hope that God's salvation will come. Now we start into God giving laws. Let me just say real briefly, this pattern is seen again and again and again in the Pentateuch. God, let me just take you to Exodus when the people come and they worship this golden calf at Sinai. God meets with the people They don't want to come up for Him. So God says, I'm going to ask Moses to come up to the mountain. Moses is on the mountain 40 days. While Moses is there, the people make this golden calf and they worship it. And what happens? God comes down. He brings judgment upon the people. And then immediately He begins giving laws. That's what He does here. The the incident in chapter 14, the people see the promised land and they decide we're going to rebel against God. We don't trust God enough to get us in there. They rebel against God. God brings judgment and then He gives laws. It's as if God is saying, you couldn't be holy, so let me show you. Let me spell it out for you even clearer how to be holy. Now, Paul tells us why the law is given in the Old Testament. You and I need to hear it. God is giving the law not because he thinks somehow these people are all of a sudden going to be able to keep more laws. They couldn't keep the laws he already gave. So why is he giving more laws? Because the law came to reveal sin. The more laws we get, the more sinful we know that we are. Hopefully, I believe this is the point, the more dependent the people will have to come and become to their God. And so, in the same way that we see over and over this pattern, God is going to give more laws. And we see that in chapters 15 through 20. In chapter 20, when they come back to the promised land, we've gone 38 years, and there are incidences and events here where God gives laws and laws and laws, and we see some stories of how God works in the midst of them. But I want you to know, as God gives these laws, He's giving them with a purpose, with dependence, trust, faith in mind. He's saying you couldn't be holy. Let me, let me give you more laws and even help you be holy there. The laws and events that we see here in these chapters today, probably not chronological. Some of them are. The story we read in chapter 16 certainly is. And it'll teach us how to trust in God in the in-between time. So let's walk through this text together. Hopefully we can make some application in the New Covenant in the between time. Verses 2 through 10, very quickly, I'm not going to read them. I just want you to, to think with me through them. Verses 2 through 10, God says your offerings, which by the way I told you about in Leviticus 1 through 7, your offerings must have grain and wine added to them. 
So when you bring a, a burnt offering, when you bring a ram, when you bring a lamb, bring a grain offering. And by the way, that grain offering must be with fine flour, not just regular flour. It's got to be your best. You've got to bring fine flour with it. And you have to bring wine with it. You have to offer a food offering before the Lord. And so he goes on, verse 11 through 16. He reminds them that these laws apply to everyone, both the native and the sojourner. I just make a quick note here, church, as you read through this text, that God is always reminding us this is not just for Israel. There will always be those that are invited in. Genesis 12, the blessing of Abraham is always more than just about Israel. It's always about the nations. And so he says there will be sojourners among you. When they come among you, they're going to worship God in the same way I'm telling you to worship God. Verse 17 of chapter 15, verses 17 through 21. When you come into the land, look at it again, verse 18. He says, speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you. Again, God reminding them of his grace, of his intention to bring them uh, to him. He's giving them laws. Listen to this. He's giving them laws about when they get there. So let me just stop and say, they're in the wilderness. They don't have fine flour. They're in the wilderness. They don't have wine. Remember, they don't even have food. They've got manna. God, I wish we had fish. I wish we had quail. I wish we had meat. I wish we had melons and cucumbers. When you get there, when you offer to me a sacrifice of a ram or a lamb, you're also going to offer to me fine flour. No, you don't have it here, but you're going to have it there. You're going to offer to me wine. No, you don't have it here, but you're going to have it there. And you're going to offer it to me with the offerings. When I take you into the land, that's where we're headed. That's where you're going. And so, you're going to eat bread when you get there. Verses 17 through 21. The first loaf, I want you to offer it to me. It's kind of like a person opening a business. You ever been in a business and a, a man or a woman has a, um, a dollar bill framed on their walls. The first dollar they made in their business, they framed it. They were like, this is what I made in the first dollar. This is what that is. God says when you get in the land, that first loaf of bread that you make, I want you to, it's special, and I want you to give it to the Lord of your first fruits. I want you to give it to the Lord. And so that's what he tells them in verse 17 through 21. 22, he says, if the congregation sins unintentionally, then here's how to deal with that. Atonement is to be made by the whole congregation. Now we picked up with Kirk reading in verse 27. This is if, if an individual sins unintentionally, then here's how we deal with that. So he's got unintentional sin. Now go down to verse 30. Kirk read this too. But a person who does anything with a high hand. This is intentional sin. Certainly you know that the sins that we do that we're aware of, God will forgive us. Here he's saying, this is almost to the, not almost, this is the point of blasphemy. This is the point of reviling God and saying, God, I know what you've said, but I'm going to do it my way anyway. God says that's more serious. It's an unintentional sin that I can forgive, but if you know that this is against God, listen church, this is how holy our God is. This is what He's teaching them. I am holy, listen to me, trust me, and I will bring you what I promised you. But if you sin intentionally, if you look and say, I know God said that, but I'm going to do it my way. God says, you're going to be cut off from this people. He doesn't say make atonement, he doesn't say forgiveness. He says, you have blasphemed me. I believe this is very clearly like blaspheming the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. 
right? So this is a sin that we all call the unpardonable sin. If you know the Spirit is working, you know that God has said something, you say, I know that's God's will, but I'm not going to do it. You're just blaspheming God, and you'll be cut off. There's no forgiveness for that unless and until you repent and say, God, I didn't know what I was doing. I've come back to you. Will you, as long as there's breath in you, there's repentance for you. But if there's no repentance, then you're blaspheming, reviling God. And so he says, you shall be cut off from the people. Then he gives an example, verse 32. There's a man who was out on the Sabbath. He was gathering sticks. They brought him to Moses. Moses said, well, just put him in a holding pattern. Let's put him in prison for a moment. Let me ask God what to do. And God says, this is, not, this is an intentional sin. This man knows the rules of the Sabbath. And so you're to kill him. He shall be put to death. You see how holy our God is? Listen to me, church. We're going to see this again in verse six, chapter 16. But I want you to hear this. God's concern for His holiness. God's concern for the holiness of His name, which is upon His people, transfers to us as His people. And God has never counted life too high a price to pay for the holiness of His name. That should say something to us who have taken upon us the name of Christ. Call yourself Christian. You've taken the name of Christ. You've called yourself a brother with Christ. God's concern for His own holiness and the holiness of His name is more than what you and I think it is most of the time. We throw the name of Christ around. We throw the name Christian around like it's nothing. God has never, read the Bible, you know it. Here's an example. Chapter 16 is going to be exemplified again. God's concern for His holiness is never, or excuse me, God's concern for life and He's never counted life too high a price to pay for His own holiness. What's that say to us? Now, point of this text, verse 37. So I've dumped more laws on you, being disobedient. I've given you hope and dumped more laws. Now, here's how to be holy. Now, here's what he says. Speak to, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. To put a cord of blue on the tassel of each, of each corner. So to hold tassels on their garments. Just hang them on your garments. Why? It shall be a tassel for you to look at so for you to look at, remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which, are inclined to whore after, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all the commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Let me walk through that very briefly. There are four things that this reminds us of. God says, I want you to put a reminder on your garment. Here's what I want you to remind of. First, I'm going to work backwards. Go to verse 41. First, I want you to remember who I am. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Twice he says it. Puts the pinnacle on redemption, right? Redemption accomplished. I saved you. This is where God continues to point. God is saying, He's not saying, remember and be holy so that I'll save you. He's saying, I saved you, so remember and be holy. And I think that's what he would say to us as a church. Don't go thinking that your holiness and your, your moral rightness before God is going to bring salvation. Remember, I am the God who redeemed you. 
Remember who I am. And then remember what I've commanded you. Remember who I am. Then he says, this shall be something that will remind you and you'll help you remember all the commandments of the Lord. So remember the commandments. And then remember to obey the commandments. Do what God commands. So who God is, what God commands, to do what God commands. And then finally, I think he's saying here, remember with these tassels, my tendency toward idolatry. My tendency toward idolatry. He says, remember not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. Let me, let me just say here, I, we could camp here for a while, but I hope you realize this. The New Testament speaks a lot about our heart. And your sin, your actions that are disobedient to God, we could go back and walk through numbers. All of these actions, they start in your heart. They start at the level of your affections. Your battle for holiness, church, your battle for holiness begins at the level of your desires and affections. What you love, what you desire, what you fear, what you worship. Your battle for moral rightness before God. Your battle for pleasing our God who redeemed you. Remember, I am God who brought you out of Egypt. Your battle for that holiness begins at the level of your affections. What do you love? What do you fear? What do you desire? What do you worship? God says, I want you to put these tassels so that you remember that. You remember not to go after them. And he uses this illustration here, this imagery of spiritual adultery, right? So your eyes and your heart. Your eyes, Jesus says, is a pathway to your heart. What you see goes into your heart. And you begin to desire, you begin to go after. Your eyes and your heart are those things that lead you to spiritual Adultery. You leave your love of God for your love of something else. And God says, so I want you to put these tassels to remind you not to. To remind you of your tendency. That you would hear and obey the commandments of God. Church, the best illustration that I could give in our day, if you want to put a tassel on your, on your shirt to remind you, that's fine. But tassels didn't make them holy. Just like this wedding ring on my finger doesn't make me married. Right? The wedding ring on my finger lets you know I'm married, lets you know that I entered into a covenant. But I can, when I take it off, it doesn't mean I'm not married. Right? The tassels are not the holiness. I think we, this is where Israel missed it. They thought, well, if we put the tassels on our, on our clothes, then we'll be okay. We'll do all the outward signs, and their hearts still hoard after the things that they were going after. So you can commit adultery with a wedding ring on your hand just like you can with it off your hand. The wedding ring just reminds me I love one woman the way Christ loved His church. And I'm committed to her. My heart needs to grow toward her. And I need to do things to train my heart to love her more. To show her my love. To show her my commitment. To tell her I love her. The wedding ring didn't make me married. The covenant I made with God made me married. And then my love for her is to be something that's lived out in my life because it's in my heart given to her. Same thing with our God. And this is what God says. You sinned. You rebelled. Here's some more rules to follow. If you love me, do these rules. And if you need something to help you remember, so I want you to put these tassels on your clothing so that you'll remember who God is, what He's commanded, that you're to do them, and that you have a tendency 
toward idolatry. Remind yourself of these things. Now, it would be great if we could read chapter 16 and say, so all of Israel put tassels on their clothing and they remembered and they obeyed God and they went there 38 years and we jump to chapter 20 and they go into the land and they take it up. But just like Israel or just like us perhaps, Israel needed more than just the tassels. So I want to walk you through their grumbling in chapter 16. I hope you have a copy of the ESV. It's what I'm reading from. Just walk through together. Remember, these are people that have been crushed. And they've come back to God over and over. And God now says, remember who I am. Remember what I've commanded you. Remember to do it. Remember your tendency toward idolatry. Immediately, chapter 16. Now, Korah, you remember him? He's one of the sons of Kohath who are part of the tribe of Levi. They're serving in the temple, but they're not priests. So that's significant here. The Kohathites, or Korah and his brothers, are serving in the temple, but they're not priests in the line of Aaron. Aaron's sons are going to be the priests in the temple. The rest of them just serve around the tabernacle. I hope I'm not confusing you saying temple and tabernacle. Temple is just going ahead to David's time. Tabernacle is where they meet with God. Sorry about that. So Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. Kurt, that's why I didn't have you read here. They took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses. Note that, against Moses and against Aaron. And said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, just stop right there. Can you imagine with what you've just read in the text, anybody standing up and saying, all in the assembly of the Lord are holy. I mean, you've read the same thing that I just read. Moses over and over is interceding for the people. When Moses heard it, verse 4, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Isn't this where we always see him? And he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he'll bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company. Put fire in them and put, put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister them, and that He has brought you near Him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Moses says, is it too small that God has already chosen you to do His service? You have to have more and more and more. Is that any, anybody hearing there what we say in our life? Is it too small a thing? And we go to the Lord and say, oh God, I want more. I want something else. And Moses says, is this too small of a thing? 
Note that Korah told Moses he had gone too far. Now Moses told Korah, you've gone too far. Moses says, is it too small a thing that the Lord has chosen you? And you're going to hear that same thing in the verse 13 as we pick up. Verse 12, and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab. And they said, we will not come. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Note how they call Egypt lostness, the land flowing with milk and honey. Don't miss that. You've not brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. We were in a land flowing with milk and honey. We would rather go back to slavery. Anybody heard that argument before? We've been there before, right? I wish I'd have never been saved because my life in Christ is too hard. It's too difficult, Lord. Why did you ever save me? That's where they are. So, verse 15, Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take a censer and put incense in it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron each his censer. Censer was just something they would burn fire on. They would bring it before the Lord is made of brass. They would put their fire there. They would put incense and they would smoke before the Lord. They would have one in their home to have just light there. And now they're going to bring them before the Lord so that God can choose them. So, verse 18, every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. So you can see 250 Moses and Aaron standing there with their burning lights, leaders of the people of Israel, Here's what happens. Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Watch this. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. This is incredible leadership here. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. So Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him and he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing that is theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out. They stood at the door of their tents together with their wives and their sons and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around fled, around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. 
How can we live? Remember that, coming back to it. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering incense. And their, their censers were left. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be hammered into plates as a covering for the altar. This is why we call it the bronze altar. It's where it got its bronze, for they offered them before the Lord, and now they've become holy. Thus they shall be a sign of the, to the people of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which the, those who had burned had offered, and they hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder to the people, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to them to him through Moses. The next day, all the congregation... Now, stop right there. Horrible. 250 killed. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, their entire family swallowed up in the earth. The people are there saying, can any of us survive? They realize that holiness of God. Now, look at verse 41 and don't miss the monumental words. But on the next day... All the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron. Will this people never learn? And yet our God, I'm sure, is saying the same thing about us. Will you never trust me? People said to them, you've killed the people of the Lord. When the congregation assembled against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it. And yet again, the glory of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. They fell on their faces. This is what Moses does. You see the pattern. Moses intercedes for the people. What leadership! Moses said to Aaron, take your censer, put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has already begun. And so Aaron took it as Moses said and ran in the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. Watch this. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. Now, those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague had stopped. Remember. Remember. I am the Lord your God who redeemed you. I've given you commands. Do them. You have a tendency to turn away. And immediately, they turn away, and they turn away, and they turn away. Church, if you have not identified with the people of Israel in the wilderness yet, I'm afraid to say it's because you're not aware of your own heart and your own sin and your own tendency. Today, I want to remind you that you have the tendency just like these people. We can read this and say, how could they do that? How foolish are they? Have they not seen all that God has done? Have they not seen the destruction and the death? And yet you and I together as new covenant believers should yell, scream at the top of our lungs in our hearts and say, have we not seen that Jesus took 
every wrath of God. Have you not seen that every penalty of every sin has been poured out on the Son of God for you? Have you not seen? Have you not seen that Jesus is the one like Aaron here standing between the dead and the living to stop the plague? Will you look to Him? Will you trust Him? Will you allow the Spirit to work in your heart and in your life to be faithful to our God? Here's the promise for the New Covenant Christian. You've been given the Spirit of God to show you, to guide you in what to do, to follow after our great God, to be holy as He is holy, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, the Holy One. And yet, you need to remember today our God, who He is, brought us out of Egypt. That He's given us a command to be holy. He's told us to do it. Follow after Him. Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. And remember your tendency to turn away. Stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, if I thought that I could say, church, let's put tassels on all of our clothes, if I thought it would make a difference, I'd ask you to come down here and make a commitment to put tassels on all your clothes. The Lord's given us something much greater than tassels. He's given us His own spirit. And He said, by my spirit, I will indwell you. I will live inside of you. I will make you my temple and He indwells us. So the simple invitation today is this. Could you, would you, will you submit to the authority of the Spirit in your life and say, God, reveal in me what is unholy and I'll kill it. I'll forsake it. I'll leave it. I'll stop it. Put in me what is holy. I'll do it. I'll follow. I surrender to you. I trust you. How much more do you and I have to see of our sin placed on the back, on the shoulders of Jesus and His blood pouring down the cross for forgiveness and His resurrection for our life, our holiness? Church, if we see Christ and don't believe that God has given us what He promised, that He's taking us to the promised land, how are we to ever get there? Trust Him. He made Him who knew no sin, sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God and inherit all that is God's. Come to Him.